right, friends. Greg Kokel here, and welcome to the show. It's called Stand to Reason, and uh, this is our, my 33rd year broadcasting, and I never expected it would be like this. The first couple of years were rocky, actually, a year and a half or something, until I uh, kind of adopted the Stand to Reason format, which I've been doing you know, over 30 years now, STR just started a few, my third year in broadcasting, maybe my fourth, 90, 91, 92, 93. So halfway through my my fourth year uh, of broadcasting, we started STR, and so it adopted that name. And uh, But the whole goal is to, to um, communicate Christianity we're thinking about here on the air, and uh, you can give me a piece of your mind, and I'll give you a piece of mine. That's the way it works. Um, 855-243-9975 is the number if you want to call in for the live show, my broadcast, on Tuesdays from 4 until 6 p.m. Los Angeles time, 855-243-9975. Glad to uh, take your calls. Amy Hall waiting for the ring, and she'll chat with you. Amy, my magnificent... I want to say co-host, but she's really the host of Hashtag STR Ask, and I'm the guest. <laughs> uh, she reads the questions, and um, I respond, and then she always adds so much. I, I had this other sensation today as we're doing the show. We did four of them this morning, and uh, she and I kept thinking, man, I give my answer. Then I hear her, and I think, I wish I would have thought of that because it's such a quality contribution to the things that I'd uh provided with regards to questions. I just got back from uh, Summit Ministries a few days ago, um, and uh, if you are not familiar with Summit, they're in Colorado Springs area, actually Manitou, which is in the general Colorado Springs area, but just snugged up against the mountain there a little bit to the west of the city proper, right underneath Pikes Peak. And uh, it, this organization has been going to over 50 years, and it's magnificent. They have two-week segments starting in May, ending in September, and uh, students, I'd say 250 to 300 students each segment. I got to each two-week segment, and ever since 1998, I've been coming out there, and as time went on, more of our team would go out, and I think we have a team member every single two-week segment, stand a reason, trainer, that's represent, represented there, and I've been able to drop back but uh, and do other things, but uh, was there last week. And I did get a good encouragement, and I've heard these kind of things, kinds of things before, and some of you uh, are fully aware of this because you have not only read the tactics, but you got the book, but you not only got the book, you read the book, <laughs> you not only got it and read it, you began doing what the book told you to do, and been pleasantly surprised that this can really bear good fruit. So I was teaching there on Thursday, and at 11 o'clock, I did my segment on um, the uh, on the tactics. So it's the Colombo two-step. It's two steps of the three-part game plan. It's all I have to do in 45 minutes. I talk about gardening, and I talk about our first two moves, if you will, in the game plan, and the first two questions. First move being gather information. Don't worry about other things. Just think about gathering information. Don't worry about whether you can lead anybody to Christ or even get to the gospel or answer challenges or whatever. Just ask questions to gather information so you get the lay of the land. Model question, what do you mean by that? Then when you get an idea, especially if you're talking about spiritual topics or controversial issues, 
you get a clear idea by probing with some form of that question, what do you mean by that? Uh, you get a clear idea of what they believe, what their convictions are, then you want to find out why they believe what they say they believe. So you want to reverse the burden of proof, put the burden of proof on them when they make the claim, uh, and uh, see what their reasons are and ask, how did you come to that conclusion? So those are the basics. That's all I taught. So uh, we had lunch, and then I think we had another class, and then for the balance of the afternoon, they have recreation. So they go out in some local park, and they play sports and throw frisbees and whatever they do up there at 6,500 feet. I can't do much, but cross the street, and I'm winded, that thin air. But they've been up for a while. They're used to it. And uh, uh, when we, they came back, though, and got ready for the evening sessions, which I was also teaching, one of the students came up to me and said, during their recreation period— they ran into a young man that was in the park <clears throat> they started to make conversation with who had been a Christian and had been hurt a lot by the church and was no longer a Christian. I don't know if he was an atheist or where he was. I was just getting, in a sense, a thumbnail sketch. But the young man told me it was so easy to talk with him because of what I had just taught earlier that day about the what I call the Colombo two-step, the first two steps of the game plan, and the idea of gardening. So you're going in relaxed. You're not trying to go for the gold, get anybody to sign on the dotted line. You're not trying to close the deal. You're not swinging for the fences to mix all my metaphors up badly. You're just going to do a little gardening. See what you can do, what difference you can make, even if it's a small amount to get them thinking. That's the approach. He said, we did that. <clears throat> and what he said was, it was really easy, and it was effective. In fact, he was almost a bit surprised the way he was explaining to me, oh, man, that worked. <laughs> that was really easy. And because they had a they were Christians having a pleasant conversation with someone who had been hurt by the church and therefore defected. This had a salutary impact on that person's attitude about the church. And this former Christian said to them, you know, maybe I should start going back to church. So that was pretty cool. I'm always thrilled to hear that thrilled but not surprised, partly because I've experienced it myself and partly because uh, so many other people have told me the same thing. I don't know if I've told this story on the air or not. Did, did I ever tell this story, um, Amy? I'm, I'm bereft of callers now so I can ramble on for a long time. Uh, the story about the Seattle waitress who I did not want to talk to God about because it's too early in the morning. Oh, this is okay. So Amy doesn't remember me sharing this. I, I Now I share this when I can when I talk about the Colombo game plan. And the reason that this is such a significant um, illustration, not an illustration, it's an anecdote, this really happened, is because it shows the power of the game plan, and in this case, only the first step of the game plan how God can use just the first step 
just gathering information to make a difference in somebody's life to get them thinking. And that's my goal. My goal is in gardening is to put a stone in their shoe. Many of you have heard that metaphor. To annoy them in a good way is what I say to non-Christian audiences, which, by the way, I'm going to be in Baylor in September. I'll give you more details on that in another time. But uh, I think it's going, to, it's going to be for a Christian group, but I, I suspect there are going to be non-Christians there. And whatever it is I'm teaching, I'll tell them that. I'm not here to convert you. I just want to <laughs> put a stone in your shoe. I just want to annoy you in a good way, you know. And, uh, and, and you know, what, what my point here is that just taking the basics of the game plan, even if it's the first step, God will use that. When, when I talk about using questions— as part of the process of engaging people and uh, gardening, as I call it, as opposed to harvesting. My conviction is harvesting takes care of itself. When the fruit is ripe, it drops into the basket. On September 28, 1973, when I became a Christian, I was ready. I told my brother, you don't need to tell me any more about Jesus. I want to become a Christian. All right. And uh, I think sometimes we go ahead and we're pulling at the fruit, and we're trying to get somebody to sign on the dotted line, or even kids to raise their hand and receive Jesus at VBS, and they're not ready. They make decisions, but they don't. there's no conversions, and so it doesn't last, okay? So I just want to do some gardening. But some people will say, well, how do you, if you're just using these questions, you're not making your case, communicating the gospel, then uh, how are you going to make a difference for Christ? Well, first of all, the the tactical approach doesn't mean you never communicate the gospel. I am emphasizing you don't need to do that right out of the gates, and we should spend some time talking and conversing to get the lay of the land and figure out what's going on before we lay this stuff on them and expect them to make a radical change of life after a five-minute conversation. This usually takes time, and ought to, I suspect, given um, that, that what we're asking of people, and that is to turn around, repent. Going one way, go another way. And this is a big, giant change in life. But it turns out it's possible to do that, and I've seen it time and time and time again, as people are drawn, uh, drawn into conversation with the questions we ask them, and those questions themselves make a big difference in their life. So this is all a, a predicate to... Uh, telling you about what happened to me two and a half years ago. I, I kind of lose track of these things now, but I was in in uh, Seattle area, same place where we have, I think I was in, uh, starts with a B, uh, just east of, just east of Seattle proper. I always get this, like the San Asylum. Bellevue, yeah, it always reminds me of the San Asylum. Isn't there a Bellevue, Bellevue, a San Asylum somewhere in New York City or in London, whatever? Bellevue. Uh, Bedlam. That's Bethlehem. That's right. That's the British one. Bedlam. Bethlehem. In any event, I was there at Bellevue doing a conference Friday, all day Saturday, other speakers, but I worked really hard, did a lot of sessions. And Sunday morning, I still had to keep preach twice at a church. I think it was Calvary Chapel there in the area. And uh, some of you know, I'm not a morning person. I wake up very slowly, and I don't like a lot of conversation, a lot of interaction. I just want to be left alone. So I'm taking my roller bag. 
on my way out of the hotel, but I'm stopping at the restaurant to get some scrambled eggs and toast and a cup of coffee, a big cup, because I want to wake up. And um, just telling you, I don't want to talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about the gospel. I don't want to talk about God. I don't want to talk. Okay, that was my attitude. And so the waitress comes up to me as I seat, uh, as I, I'm seated there, and and she is way too energetic for that time of the morning, especially for my temperament. And she's asking me why I came to Seattle and what am I doing here? And I'm thinking, all right, I'll get rid of her. I'll just tell her what I'm going to do in another hour. I'm going to preach at a church. And I figure, okay, well, you know, <laughs> off she goes. But she didn't. She said, well, that's good. Oh, that's good. I'm thinking, why would she think it's good? Oh, maybe she's a Christian. So I asked her, are you a Christian? And and so I want you to notice something, by the way. I don't want to talk with her. But now she's forcing the situation. She says something that's a little bit odd to me. I didn't expect. And so what did I do? For the sake of clarification, I asked a question. I'm already into the Colombo tactic, and I'm not even trying. Are you a Christian? That would make most sense to me. She'd think it's good because she was a believer. Oh, no, I'm not a Christian, she says. I used to be a Christian, but I'm not anymore. Now, she says, the universe takes care of me. And I'm thinking, what the heck does that mean? I don't know what that means. Since I didn't know what she meant, I asked her what she meant. What do you mean the universe takes care of you, I said. And, and again, this is very conversational. I'm half asleep anyway, so I'm, I'm not pressing. It isn't like an interrogation or anything like that. What do you mean the universe takes care of you? Is the universe a person? She said, no. Well, how can the universe take care of you if, you're not, if it's not a person? And she thought about it for a second. She said, oh, okay, well, I think God takes care of me. <laughs> oh, okay, that made sense to me. I'm chuckling because I know what's going on here. I, I know what's next. And then she says, "The God is the God is the God is the universe." And I'm thinking, "Wait a minute, I don't, how, what's that?" So I asked her, how, "How could God be the universe?" And and then she so we're going back and forth. And what she keeps doing is making these statements that are um, that's the, the most charitable way I could put it is they're theologically spiritually obscure as to what she means. So I'm just trying to get clarity, which, by the way, is the first step of the game plan. Gather information, asking questions like, what do you mean by that? But I'm not trying to witness. I don't want to witness. I don't even want to talk. But I can't help myself. She's talking. She's spilling the spiritual beans with me, and they happen to be kind of new-agey beans, and those oftentimes are borderline incoherent when people talk about some of those things. And so I'm just trying to get clarification. And so we converse for a little while, and I ask more questions for clarification. I'm not getting clear answers, and she finally tires of the conversation. She has to go and fill somebody else's coffee and order or whatever. And I'll tell you, when I'm talking to her, I had absolutely no sense that anything that I was saying gave her the least bit of pause about what she said about her own beliefs. She was supremely confident, and even though she couldn't make any sense, it was like, oh, I'm just, there there, there you go, whatever, you know. And so I let it go. Now she's gone. I was thankful for that. I got my eggs, drank my coffee, ate my toast. And then right at the end of my meal, she came back to the table, and here's what she said to me. 
She said, no one has ever asked me questions about my views before. No one has ever asked me questions about my views before. And then she said, and it got me thinking. Now, this whole anecdote is in the new book I'm writing called Street Smarts, uh, but it's there for a reason, because it illustrates the point that I make in the beginning, that the game plan has power. The Holy Spirit uses it. It doesn't have power of its own, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a clever way of maneuvering that's legitimate that the Holy Spirit can use, even when you're not trying to make your case. And remember, I'm trying not to make my case. I'm trying not to make any case. I'm trying to be left alone. I don't want to, anything to do with this conversation. That was my temperament in the moment. I worked Friday. I worked all day Saturday. I'm going to be working Sunday morning and into the afternoon. I just want a break. Leave me alone. But I couldn't help myself because the things that were said were so unusual, ambiguous. It was easy to ask for clarification. And my mere attempts at asking or effort at asking for clarification, even though I was not motivated to have a spiritual impact in her life, was something that God used. Now, the postscript is, uh, I had to get out of there because I had this appointment. My host was going to pick me up just shortly. But uh, what I said to her is, when she said, um, it got me thinking, is I said, well, if I had more time, I could ask you more questions and you could do more thinking, which I had a little fun with that line, and she chuckled, And but it, it does make the point. Our properly placed questions are powerful to get people thinking about spiritual ideas they hold that they have never thought about before. And so when I'm asking, what do you mean by that? I am not just getting information for me to understand their view so I don't misrepresent it, straw man. And uh, so also I might be able to see some other things in it that I might be able to challenge to get them thinking about the legitimacy of their view. But it's also to help them to think about their own view. And lots of people have never really thought about their own view. So in an amicable way, if I can be asking questions out of genuine curiosity and have a gracious interaction, it is not unusual that these questions do get somebody thinking. But the postscript is, since I was going, I thought, and I try to leave something with people if I have an opportunity to do that. And since I'm an author, I usually carry copies of uh, the story of reality, uh, just in case I might give it to somebody. Now, I don't carry copies of Tactics to give it away because that's an insider's book. That's to train Christians to engage. It's not going to mean much to a non-Christian. But the story of reality is is my, you know, 200-page evangelistic tract, so to speak. I wrote it for Christians, of course, to understand their own worldview. But every time I sat down to Wordsmith, I was thinking of the non-Christian and how they would read it. And there's nothing embarrassing in this book. It's not a bunch of Christianese. It's not, it's not heavy-handed. It's an easy read. And it's the kind of thing I think you can give to anybody 
who is genuinely interested in Christianity, and they're going to get a fairly lucid, um, easy-to-read, and accurate, balanced presentation of mere Christianity. In fact, mere Christianity, the book, was kind of the model I had in mind when I wrote the story of reality. I I, uh, approached the material differently than C.S. Lewis did 75 years ago, but time has passed, and there's a lot of people, amazingly to me, that think Lewis is a difficult read. I think that's like lunacy. But nevertheless, this is what they say. And so the story of reality is meant to meet that need, fit that niche. So you can give this to anybody, I think, and it's going to—you will not be embarrassed to do so. I won't embarrass you. Um, and so what I did is I said I offered her the book, and I the way I ask is if if uh, if I gave you a book, would you be interested in reading it? And then I quickly say, and by the way, if you say no, you will not hurt my feelings. I guarantee you. And she said, "Oh, I love to read." I said, "Okay, well, I pull out the story of reality, and I offered to her, and she took it with interest. And then I told her that I was the author of it, and then she got all giggly, you know, and wanted me to sign it, and was very taken with that. And so I, that I thought the more of a chance is she's going to read it for sure now. And uh, that was it. And I left. I even in the original tactics book, fifteen years ago, almost now, when I wrote it, and also I repeat this in the tenth anniversary edition." Um, I, I try to leave something with people, not just a little piece of information to stir, put a stone in their shoe, but if they show an interest, if I can leave them with something, uh, all the better, especially if they seem disposed to read it. And so in this case, I left her the book. She seemed really happy with it. And I figured now the story of reality, that is the gospel in kind of common terms, the Christian worldview played out in a balanced fashion, especially in contrast to her New Age beliefs. This can be explained to her through the work. She can read it at her leisure. Now, there's a chapter in there, by the way, that does deal with a New Age thinking, too. So I never heard from her again. I don't know what has happened. God knows. And maybe I'll know, you know, um, in eternity about what God did in her life in a positive aspect. We'll see. Uh, But, as I have said before, in a circumstance like that, in those moments she was my task, but long-term she's God's problem, all right? In other words, he's the one most concerned about her, and he's the one who's got to see her through one way or another. I did my thing for the moments that I had. I tried to equip myself well with the opportunity I was given. Although now, as I think about what I just said, I'm I'm making my effort sound more noble than it was. I was really trying to avoid an encounter, but it just underscores the fact or underscores how effective approaching things like that can be if if you're at least willing to just do a couple of the steps or just the first step of the Colombo game plan. God can even use that. And which is exactly what the student was telling me. First heard about the concept, the game plan, just before lunch that day in the mid-afternoon, he's out there employing it the best way he can, which isn't very hard to do, and seeing fruitfulness in a young man's life who now is considering going back to church and renewing his own spiritual life. So that was very satisfying to me, but it is a lesson in how effective these things can be. 
Uh, let's go to break, and we'll come back with more thoughts here on Standard Reason when we return. Greg Kokel here. When you choose to support Standard Reason with a monthly gift of $10 or more, you become a strategic partner in the work of equipping Christian ambassadors. Your monthly commitment makes you a part of a special group, helping STR train Christians to confidently and graciously defend their convictions. Your monthly gift helps us plan and manage STR's resources and provides consistent support to aid our ongoing work. As our thanks for your partnership, we have created some benefits to express our gratitude, like a 10% discount in our online store, access to a private Facebook group, and more. To become a strategic partner, visit str.org donate. Click How Often Will You Donate and choose Monthly. For personal assistance, you can email Ocean Wilson at ocean at str.org. Would you like a Stand to Reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Allen, Tim, and our newest apologist, John Noyes, are available, both in person and online. Just email booking at str.org to schedule them today. Our speakers can address a wide array of topics, from bioethics, gender issues and science, to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, our skilled and engaging speakers can be there, either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read their bios and learn more about the topics they cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at str.org to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, or John today. Just a reminder, I mentioned this last week, but uh, tomorrow, that would be Wednesday, July 27th, John Noyes will be live with his podcast, To The Point, and it'll be on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. It's going to be 12 p.m. PST. That would be Pacific. Actually, it's PDT because it's Pacific Daylight Time, not standard. But who cares, right? 12 p.m. West Coast. <laughs> uh, you can visit str.org. You scroll down to the bottom for links to our social media channels. Uh, he's going to be talking about the recent redefinition of female by Miriam Webster. Oh, this is news to me. Uh, John's been hounding all over the country and doing a lot of speaking and doing it very effectively. I'm glad he's getting a chance to chat with you guys. To the point, Wednesday, 27th of July, it's tomorrow, 12 p.m. noontime. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. That would be STR's uh, locations on those social media uh, outlets. Um, also, this uh, weekend, on Sunday, I will be speaking at Crestview Presbyterian Church in West Chester, Ohio. That's two words. That's just north of the Cincinnati area. I'll be there during the week, the last part of the week, with Frank Turek and uh, Jay Warner Wallace and Elisa Childers and Natasha Crane, I think, is going to be there, and and uh, Brett Kunkel. I mean, this is one of the fun times of the year, doing a cross-examine instructor academy until Saturday. Then on Sunday morning, uh, we got some 
we uh, grouped some, uh, clustered some talks, so I'll be at Crestview Press at Westchester in the morning. And then First Baptist Church in Fairborn, that's further north, about an hour uh, in the evening. Um, I think I'll be doing the story of reality at Crestview, and I'll be doing Truth is Not Ice Cream, Faith is Not Wishing in the evening. So Robbie uh, Lascio will uh, visit Mission Grove Church in Phoenix on Sunday, the 31st of July. That's the same Sunday, next Sunday. He's going to talk about why we can trust the Bible as the Word of God. Alan Schleiman will speak at uh, Hawthorne Gospel Church in Hawthorne, New Jersey on Saturday, July 30th, and Sunday, July 31st. And then on August 8th, a, w- a week later, he'll be at North, Cor- no- North Coast Church in Vista, California, San Diego County, North County. So, uh, And he'll also be doing a live Q&A on video on STR's Instagram, Wednesday, August 17th. So we're looking three weeks out for that, just so you want to mark your calendar. So and all of us are available to be scheduled. Um, if you'd like to do a... Uh, uh, have us come to your church. We're getting a lot busier, so um, uh, be good to call us and time to schedule out. Be glad to help out with whatever you have in mind. Uh, incidentally, we've got um, now, I think we're looking at six or seven weeks out now, um, or maybe it's eight weeks. See, this is the 26th of of July, August, September. So the last weekend of September is our first, our kickoff reality event for the season in Orange County. And this Friday, July 29th, is the uh, last day to receive your early bird savings. I don't know what that is, like five or ten bucks or whatever, but it's great to get in the queue early. All right. Now, I just want to say something about last year, Orange County. It was a little rough because the state imposed restrictions on us. They said because of their wisdom regarding the COVID crisis, at least they let us meet. In 2020, they didn't even let us meet. We had 2,600 students on 2019, and in 2020, we had zilch because they wouldn't let us meet. But in 2021, the state, the state said, okay, you can have 1,000 people in the main auditorium, which holds 2,000, and then you could have 1,000 people, what, in the gym or something like that. I think we would just kind of split them up. But that means if you wanted to get in the main auditorium, if you bought your ticket, then you had to stand in line, first come, first served, or whatever it was. I can't remember how it all worked, but it wasn't very convenient. It was actually kind of annoying. And I think a lot of people were bugged about that, uh, for which we are really sorry, but we had no control over it. It's what the state required. And so you you might have walked away, in spite of all the good things that happened at Reality Southern California, Orange County, last year, I think some people walked away with a bad taste in their mouth, you know, because of the awkwardness every time there was a new plenary session and wait in line or whatever. We do not have that restriction this time. And uh, if that was your first reality, it didn't usually like this. And uh, as far as we know now, there are no, re- well, there are no restrictions right now to size or anything like that. Uh, of course, you never know about the state of California in two months. The whole state could be shut down. But in any event, we're planning on it not being restricted, our event not being restricted by the state in any way. And so we're, gonna, we're hoping we get about 3,000 people because we've got enough room on that campus to put 2,000 people in the main auditorium and 1,000 in the gym. So uh, all this to say, uh, we're sorry about the inconvenience last year, 
and we won't have that inconvenience this year, okay? And we hope you're understanding about it. But uh, in the past, we haven't had that. It's just the crazy circumstances the last couple of years that has interfered with us. Um, in a sense, speaking about reality, because reality is a, a student apologetics conference. And this, by the way, is the first one for the season. September in Orange County, October in Seattle, November in Minneapolis, February in Dallas, March in Philly, and in April we'll be in Augusta, Georgia. So we're kind of boxing the compass there. For all the details, you can go to realityapologetics.com and all the locations, the sign-up, the dates, and the speakers and everything. we got Jay Warner Wallace coming back. He does every season, and uh, we hope we never lose him. Jason Jimenez has been with us before. He'll be speaking. I just saw him at Summit last uh, last week. Uh, Mary Jo Sharp will be one of our main speakers. We have a whole bunch more. Um, the Almonds will be there again, Megan and Tripp. Megan, the wife, Tripp, the husband, uh, from Summit. And uh, Megan also works for Scott Klusendorf. So multi-skilled, and they'll be doing breakouts. A lot of our team, obviously, doing talks and breakouts. I think they might even ask me to do a talk. We'll see. Uh, somewhere. In, oh, we're doing, are we doing a Q&A? Oh, okay, good. Um, uh, Amy and I are doing kind of our version of a live version of STRS that we're working together. And we've done this many other times in the past, uh, and she's she is Ask the Apologist um, in the hallway, so to speak, during breaks, but we'll do a, a breakout session on Q&A um, for anybody who wants to have that kind of interaction. So uh, we're, I'm scheduled, too. They decided to put the old guy to work. Uh, and uh, so, but these this particular emphasis this year is, is called Seek and You Shall Find, is the title and the whole idea is is the deconstruction deconversion uh what's the word trend that we see in the body of christ right now a lot of people are being challenged by objections they don't know how to answer they are looking hard at their own uh, beliefs and they are deconstructing them that means they're disassembling them and looking at them closely and many are not getting adequate answers and so they are just leaving and so that they are deconverting. Well, we we're, we want to deal with that. We want to encourage and teach and instruct so that young people know the answers, and not only will their own convictions be secured, but uh, they will be agents of change for Christ. And that's what we're. Uh, that's 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 what our whole reality apologetics conference. Uh, is all about. We are passing the baton to the next generation, which is under the 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 greatest threat spiritually of any generation in the United States of America. Okay, we do have a contingency plan. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, Amy just told me if they are, if the state decides they're going to you know, monkey with things and interfere. We've got contingency, contingency plans, so don't... Uh, please sign up. You want to go. There's going to be a great session. Things that are planned that are fabulous. There's going to be sensational content. A lot of fun as well. So um, all of those things are scheduled and moving forward uh, apace. And uh, again, we have contingency plans if the state <laughs> creates contingencies. 
So we'll see how that works out. But I, I, I wanted to it kind of something happened recently that a couple of things actually that that shocked me, and I'm not it's it's I'm not easily shockable. But uh, for one, recently, uh, I was at a very fine church, uh, fairly good-sized and uh, solid. And uh, as I was talking to some of the people who go to church there, they told me about their youth group. And here I'm talking about junior high. What's junior high? Is that 12, 13, 14? Is that right? Because 14 is when you kind of start high school, and then you're 18 when you graduate, right? So maybe not, uh, 11, 12, 13-ish, right in there. My daughter's 14, and she's sophomore in high school. So th- these kids are young. Junior high. It turned out that the vast majority, almost without exception, of the young girls in that church's youth group— in junior high, said they were bisexual. Now, there's a a number of things that are really surprising about that for me. First of all, how does a junior high kid know she is bisexual, for one? It's like all of that stuff is kind of just starting, trying to figure that out, to go like, right. And the, 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 the number, the vast majority. And... It's in a Christian youth group where this is acknowledged and confessed. And one thing we've noticed at Realities is it certainly is not unusual to see, and what we've seen, it's been girls mostly, that are palling together in a romantic way and even acknowledging that they're lesbians, holding hands in class, holding hands at reality events, and, you know, it, it like they're sweethearts. At a Christian event, with, with no sense that there's something untoward about this, and this is probably the most amazing part. Now, certainly the Church wasn't happy to learn this about girls in the youth group, junior high. My point, though, has to do with the, with the, um, with, uh, what's the right way of putting it? It's, it's the, uh, the, the ethos of young people that this is treated as just an ordinary kind of thing. What's the big deal? Oh, we're Christian? What difference does that make? Now, what's going on here? What you're seeing is the amazingly corrosive impact of the culture on our kids, because the culture is aggressively discipling our kids. They are doing it from Hollywood. They are doing it on the news. They are doing it in TikTok. They're doing it in YouTube. They're doing it in uh, 
you know, I'm not very clever at all these things, but what was the other one that has all the pictures? Everywhere that you have social media, Snapchat, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's all being done there, and it's being done government-sponsored throughout the entire educational system, not just the academy, university system, but in the public school system, pushing it all the way down to K. And it has gotten so bad that um, politically incorrect, oh, what's his name for crying out loud, Amy, politically incorrect guy, you know, the comedian, Bill Maher, who is not a Christian, (laughs) who's not a theist, but he's not a leftist, just, what, four weeks ago did a 10-minute comedic rant slamming all of this nonsense. And, of course, the, the left came out viciously against him and were trying to get him, trying to get him uh, uh, canceled. But, you know, he, 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 what was great about it is, first of all, he's, he was speaking what is obvious and raising a question about its legitimacy with all this gender stuff. And he's saying, please, we are experimenting on our children. This is nuts. But he did it in a comedic way that was really funny. So it, I think it had a greater impact. That was great. But even a guy like Bill Maher gets it. What is going on here? And what he said was, all of this stuff is a fad. That's all it is. Where have all these people been for hundreds and hundreds of years? All these gender dysphoric people. He even did a graph <laughs> about the people who confess to be gay and how each year there's an increasing number, and he charted it all up, and he says that by 2035, we'll all be gay, if it follows this thing. That was a laugh line, but he was making a point. What, what, really, what's going on here? This is a social contagion, a fad. Do I really think that all these girls in a Christian junior high youth group are bisexual? No, of course not. But there is a social pressure to identify this way, and even experiment, probably, to be cool, to be with it, to be not con- to not be considered weird. Are you Christian? Oh wait, you don't go. You're a virgin. Are you kidding me? What's wrong with you? You know, use a breath freshener or something. Comb your hair, you know. Take a shower. You're a virgin? That's the way culture is looking at it. And so it makes young people feel uncomfortable to to toe the line, to be consistent as followers of Jesus. I don't even like toe the line. If we love Jesus, we will follow him. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Let's be faithful to him. But no, it's hard when you're a teenager, and this is what's this is what's going on. So this is the kind of pressure that our young people are experiencing. And this is all the more reason why reality is important, because reality does a couple of things here. For one, it gives content and information. We help explain how these things work and how to respond in an apologetics kind of fashion. But it, it's, it goes beyond that, though, because this is an opportunity for beleaguered 
young people who love Jesus and are trying to stay faithful to see that there are other young people who are staying faithful to Jesus in the midst of all of this pressure. And so being part of reality is kind of a a way of rubbing shoulders with those who are kindred spirit and uh, and being encouraged by that. So it's not just the content, but it's the fellowship. And in many cases, uh, they're making new friends, and they're they're building a a uh, a group of people that they know that they can count on. And certainly, they many of them are learning for the first time about stand to reason, and we're letting them know you can count on us as well. Okay, so um, th- so that's just a little snapshot. It's kind of crazy. But um, we're still rising to the occasion as best we're able. I mean, what the point I'm making is that we're doing our job, but we're only one of many things the Holy Spirit is doing to uh, oppose the darkness that we see around us. All right? Let's take a quick break, and we'll go to calls here on Stand to Reason. What does a bushel of corn and a 2002 Dodge Neon have to do with apologetics? When donated, both enabled STR to provide Christians like you with the resources you need to gain confidence in defending your faith. There are some really creative ways to support STR financially. You can easily give items like vehicles, stock, jewelry, and gift cards through STR's partnership with iDonate. iDonate takes care of selling the items and then gives the proceeds to STR. You can also give through the purchases you're already making on Amazon. Visit Amazon Smile and select Stand to Reason as your charity of choice. Amazon will then donate a portion of what you spend. You'll find all the information on creative ways to give by going to str.org donate. Donation questions link at the bottom of the page will give you all the information you need. That's str.org donate. Do you want to become a more knowledgeable Christian ambassador without sitting through a formal course on apologetics? Well, we've made that possible for you through our STR Quick Reference app. Available for free on iTunes and Google Play, the STR Quick Reference app holds a wealth of information summarizing what you need to know on a range of topics. Learn how to defend the faith, see how other worldviews compare to Christianity, and master the biblical view of morality, all through short, engaging videos. Before you know it, you'll be well-versed on a number of important apologetics topics. In addition, the Quick Reference app also includes a Bible with text and audio, as well as some featured STR resources, all to enhance your learning experience. The STR Quick Reference app will equip you to engage in thoughtful conversation about the key issues of life from a classical Christian perspective. Visit iTunes or the Google Play Store today and download the STR Quick Reference app. And if you enjoy the app, make sure you give it a five-star review. All right, final segment of this hour. Greg Kokel, your host here, Stand the Reasons of the Show. And we got Paul in Waco, Texas. Paul, welcome back. We talked recently, didn't we? Yes, that's, that's right. I appreciate you taking the call. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so last week I had called and I had asked a question about uh, the, the Trinity, mm-hmm. and um, I had briefly just mentioned that, uh, you know, Dr. William Lane Craig's view, and uh, in passing I kind of mentioned a couple of names on the Unitarian side, like Anthony Buzzard and Dale Tuggy, and it, it turns out um, 
Dr. Craig actually had a conversation with Dale Tuggy, uh, where they uh, dialogued their opposing views within, I think, the last week. Yeah, I saw um, something on their website. I happened to see that. I didn't listen to it, but I did see that that was, excuse me, posted in his, his weekly mail, mailing or whatever he has that I receive, right. like a lot of people do, uh, that had, uh, it was featured, that interaction. I didn't listen to it. I, I didn't have time to. But, of um, course. Sure. Yeah, but uh, I, I did pique my curiosity. Did you listen to it? I did. I listened to it, and... Um you know, just the points I, I do recall, uh, obviously, Dr. Craig didn't really defend a creedal formula of the Trinity. Um, he really kind of defined, you know, what he meant by the Trinity, which was really very much along the line of that, you know, single being with three centers of self-consciousness. Sure, just idea. like you described. And creedals are, well, the creedal things are very tedious. They're long because they're trying to cross every T and dot every I and make sure they cover all the contingencies and all the questions. So, but basically, this what you have is, yeah, one God, three persons, or three centers of consciousness would be another way of putting it. And I'm totally comfortable with that. Sure. Anyways, I, I just thought I would, uh, you know, let y'all know, hey, if you hadn't seen it, uh, you know, that it would be really interesting to hear your perspective of how that dialogue went. You know, um, I I guess I kind of walked away feeling, man, I really wish, I wish he could have had a little bit more time to to engage with the, uh, the Unitarian perspective a little bit more. Um, you know, some, sometimes the Unitarians, I sometimes feel like their case is easier to make. Um, and um, although I did feel like Dale Tuckey's, um his mannerisms, you know, sh- seemed to suggest that he was really chomping at the bit to try to respond <laughs> to everything Craig would say. And you could tell he was really wanting to jump in there. But, uh-huh. um, you know, and of course, Craig is very patient when mm-hmm. he's debating. He just sits there with a smile. Yeah, um, and methodical, and, uh, too. Right. I have a question, though. Right. And I don't. Uh, when you say that the Unitarian's case is easier to make, are you saying that because, and I'm not exactly sure how the Unitarian is trying to make his case, and it seems to me you can make your case one, uh, one of two ways. You can make your case biblically, that is, here is what the Bible teaches. It teaches a Unitarian understanding of God, not a Trinitarian understanding of God. Unitarians, uh-huh. though, I, I don't think characteristically uh, have a, a high view of Scripture, so it would be odd for them to make that case, though they might. Another one would be philosophically that there's some kind of incoherence in a Trinitarian notion of God, and it might be when you say it's an easier case to make that it it's just a, a simpler—the notion is simpler. We can think of that's one I mean. God and one center of consciousness because that's similar to us as human beings. We are one being with one center of consciousness, where multiple consciousness in one being is foreign to our experience, and so it's hard to make sense of that. So I wasn't tr- quite sure what you had in mind there. That's kind of what I mean. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of points that Dale Tuggy made, you know, like in, at, at times where Jesus would say, you know, I'm returning to my God and your God. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they just basically hold that the Father is, is, is God, but, they're, but their views are different. The biblical Unitarians are different than the Jehovah's Witness, and um, they're harder to argue against. And just in the dialogues I've had with my 
my brother-in-law, you know, they use, they use the same, you know, it's not like an easy argument against saying, well, Michael and, and Jesus are, the archangel are not the same. And that's pretty simple to argue against. Okay. Well, but, let me, let me just, I, a little limited time here, so I want to toss this out here. Sure. I think that this hypostatic union or the Chalcedonian formula, one person, two natures, is really helpful in this regard. And the reason is, is I don't know why they would say, my God and your God. Why don't they just go to the verse that said Jesus wept? God doesn't weep, or Jesus was tired or something like that, you know, because God doesn't get tired, or Jesus was sleeping in the boat. God doesn't sleep. Well, sure. of course, the point that we make is Jesus wasn't just God. He was right, also a human course. being. And so there sure, are certain yeah. things that are said in Scripture that clearly pertain to his human nature and not his divine nature. So we aren't discussing just the Trinity, because if you're going to talk about a Trinitarian God and then cite problems in the Gospels, well, the Gospels are about the human being, Jesus, and so you are going to have to deal with the Trinity and the Incarnation as a unit. And it just right. seems to me that there are. it's clear that there are passages that seem to refer to Jesus in his humanity, and those are all the ones we just discussed, including my mm-hmm. God and your God. But how? Sure. Uh, but uh, is, this is going to be especially hard for the Unitarian. If you go to John chapter 1, verse 3, speaking of the Word, all things were created through him, and apart from him, nothing was created that has been created. Point being, is this one called the Word, is the uncreated creator. Now, there's only one individual that's the uncreated creator, and that's God. And so it seems to me this is an unequivocal characterization of the Word as the eternal creator God, which Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. Peter says, or the John says. The standard response to that from a biblical Unitarian would be that in this case, the Word or the Logos uh, would be something akin to Proverbs 8, kind of like the wisdom, which is personified. Yeah. They would say that the, they would probably say that the, the Trinitarian Christian view that you see that came down through the creeds were overly influenced by Logos. Like okay, yes, I, I get that argument, but I'm just saying, yeah. we're not talking about the creeds. We are talking about a oh, verse written by John, and John's right. characterization is unequivocal. You go to Proverbs, you, got a, you, have a, you have a characterization, you have a poetic characterization of wisdom there, and they want to equate wisdom there with the Word, which it became the incarnate Christ. Well, then wisdom would have to be a person. All right. And so how, where did this person come from? You know, and if it's created, how did God create wisdom without having wisdom himself? That, so the point I'm making is you've got, a, you've got a genre there that you have to be careful about being too literalistic. But whatever sure. we're talking about in, Gen, in John chapter 1, identified as the Word, we don't bring Proverbs in, that thing, that one who became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth was the one who created everything that was ever created. So the mm-hmm. Word is eternal. It has to be an eternal person. has to be, because it's an act of creation, 
there's an agent causation there who then and this agent takes on a human form in the person of of Jesus of Nazareth so I, I, I don't know how any of that going back to Proverbs doesn't solve the problem of John chapter 1 verse 3 uh, sure. I think that's just airtight because there's no equivocation in that that passage about about the uh, the ultimate identity of this one called the Word, which is why in verse verse one it says the Word was with God and the Word was God. You know, it's sure. just very straightforward. I know that Jehovah's Witnesses dance around that. Okay, well then go to verse three. You can't even the New World Translation makes it clear that this one called the Word is unequivocally the uncreated Creator. And uh, sure. so anyway, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, you know, and maybe I'll have an opportunity to listen to that discussion. I can't promise, but I'm sure it's a good one. And Bill is all, always very crisp, clear, sound, and uh, elegant in the way he reasons. And I'm sure that that uh, that conversation with the Unitarian is uh, no exception to that. Hey, thanks a lot for the call, Paul, Waco, Texas. Maybe see you in September when I come out to Oso Logos there at Baylor University. Okay, friends, that's it for this hour. Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Give him heaven, all right? Bye-bye now.